We got our first glimpse of Sacramento Kings basketball with their preseason opener against the Toronto Raptors in Vancouver. And while there was some good, there's a whole lot of bad and ugly too. Today we're going to go through the overreactions and necessary reactions right here on the Locked on Kings podcast. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports anchor and reporter for ABC 10 News, and I was very happy to be watching Sacramento Kings basketball, to have Kings basketball back. Really enjoyed how this game got started. The first quarter was a lot of fun. The second quarter were struggles. And then the third and fourth quarters, it was just downhill really from there. Ultimately, it's preseason. Winning and losing does not matter. The Kings did end up losing to the Raptors 112-99. to We're going to go through different aspects of this game, individual performances, team struggles, team successes, and we're going to separate those things that are overreactions, things that we're overly excited or overly negative or pessimistic about, and also proper reactions, things that we can take away from this game and go, hey, that needs a lot of work, or the Kings need better from this guy, or this was really good and Kings fans should be excited about this. There's positives and negatives to pull out of every game and certainly out of the first preseason game that the Sacramento Kings have played this season. So now that we've seen the final score, we know the Sacramento Kings are lost, uh, or have lost, take that, crumple into a ball, and throw it over your shoulder. That doesn't matter. What matters is the context of this game and the things that we're going to discuss here uh, over the next uh, half an hour or so. And let's start with the overreactions. And truth be told, I couldn't come up with too many overreactions. Now, one of the things that I saw was an overreaction during the game that quieted down towards the end was Sasha Vazenkov not playing at all during the first half. And clearly, as of now, he is looked at or a part of the third unit of the Sacramento Kings. And now we saw glimpses of this and signs of this. I told you during uh, training camp last week that he was not wearing the starter black. He was not wearing the bench gray. He was in the reds, which is that that, that third string or that third group. Uh, the red jerseys are what they wear uh, in, in practice. So we got a very clear understanding of, as of right now, where Sasha Vazenkov is in the pecking order. And some people were overreacting to that, saying, Maybe Sasha's not as good as we thought. If he can't even crack this bench lineup, man, the Kings are in big trouble or this EuroLeague MVP guy is not going to work out. We can pump the brakes on that because clearly when he did get into the game, he played very well and really quickly rose to become the leading scorer for the Sacramento Kings tonight. We'll get into more of the positives from Sasha Vizenkov uh, later on. But ultimately, there weren't too many things to be overreacting about. We could overreact to the offensive struggles of the Sacramento Kings, whether it's individually looking at De'Aaron Fox, only two points. Kevin Herter, only two points. De'Aaron Fox went 0 of 6 from the field. Kevin Herter, uh, 1 of 3 from the field. Your starting backcourt's only getting you a combined four points. What in the world is going on? De'Aaron only played 16 minutes, 15 minutes, 58 seconds. Kevin Herter only played 14 minutes. Granted, you would expect better than two points out of either of them in a 16-minute stretch and a 14-minute stretch, but ultimately, 
it's preseason, it's game one. These guys are established. And if you take nothing else away from this podcast, understand what this first game I felt was truly about for the Sacramento Kings, particularly Mike Brown. I've talked a lot about rotations, a lot about rotations going into training camp and kind of the ideas of what kind of rotations Mike might be putting together in training camp. His rotations are going to change a lot. He's going to experiment with things. And ultimately, I saw a lot of people notice that this season or this game was less about like staggering rotations like we're going to see Mike Brown doing. And we saw Mike do a lot last season, which is having sprinkled starters and with sprinkled bench players, which is ultimately what you do. Right? The Kings are never going to go into a, a regular season game or typically aren't going to play any regular season or playoff games where they're doing hockey substitutions, which is all five starters come out of the game, all five bench players come into the game. And we even didn't we didn't even see that tonight, right? When the the first few starters came in, or rather bench players came in, there were still some starters out there, but we saw more of the units playing together tonight. And the reason for that is Mike Brown is clearly firmly trying to understand and establish and get those units comfortable playing together and see what works and what doesn't work, right? There are some things with the bench unit tonight that you could say offensively that didn't work, defensively that didn't work. Like Chris Duarte really struggled tonight. Is it an overreaction to freak out and say Duarte is not a good basketball player? The Kings swung and missed on that? Absolutely it is. But there were some struggles from Duarte. And do those struggles continue? If they do, is Duarte one of those guys that potentially is brought out of that bench unit and someone else is brought in? Sasha Vizenkov played very, very well despite being a part of the third unit. I think it's only a matter of time before Sasha Vizenkov finds himself a consistent rotational spot off of the bench. It's going to happen. The reason why I feel it's not happening right now is, one, Sasha Vizenkov is brand new, not just to the Sacramento Kings, but to the NBA as a whole and needs to learn and understand establish and earn his role here in Sacramento. The Kings are very pleased with his resume. Clearly they wanted him. Mike Brown went over to watch him. Different members of the coaching staff, front office went over to watch him. The Kings made it very clear to Sasha Vizenkov that they wanted him here in Sacramento. That's why he decided to come and join the Kings and way bye-bye to his EuroLeague title dreams. So that clearly makes a big difference. But that doesn't mean that the second that he walks into the door, they're going to exalt him as this hero, exalt him as this savior, give him the keys and say, you have this guaranteed spot when there are other guys on this roster that have NBA experience that are going to try and beat him out for it. Mike Brown needs everybody to earn their spot. And if Sasha keeps playing the way that he played in his limited time tonight, yeah, he's going to earn that spot. I think it's only a matter of time for that. So no need to overreact to Certain things from the Kings offense tonight. No need to overreact to De'Aaron Fox struggles. No need to overreact uh, to Sasha Vizenkov not playing with the starters or the bench unit at all tonight or not playing in the first half at all. I think it's fine. It's fine. So those are really truly the overreactions, the only overreactions that I saw or that I could come up with and, and, and discuss. Because most of the things to take away from this game, positive and negative, are very legitimate reactions. The first being what we already talked about with Sasha Vizenkov. I think Sasha's going to be just fine. He's going to be a very, very good player. I mean, he led the Kings in scoring tonight, 
had 12 points on 4 of 7 shooting, played a, just over 11 minutes, went 2 of 4 from 3-point range, got to the foul line, hit both free throws, looked very comfortable on the offensive end. He's a natural fit with this team offensively, and he's going to be even better and get even better looks when he's playing with the starters and the bench unit and staggered lineups, which is what's going to happen when we get to the regular season. Sasha's going to be excellent here in Sacramento. For what his role is going to be, which is that rotational scorer, he's going to be very, very good. I'm, I'm more than comfortable saying that and still feel the same way, if not feel even a little bit better about that now that we've seen him in some sort of Sacramento Kings action, regardless of the unit that he was playing in tonight. Here's a good reaction. The Kings defense still has a long way to go. Now, in the end, the Kings held the Raptors to 112 points. Would you like to see that number lower? Yes, but in the modern NBA, 112 points is, is kind of standard. It's kind of normal, right? Hell, the Kings averaged 120 points last season as an offense. So you would love to see the Kings be in the low 100s pretty consistently. If they are, they're going to be a damn good defensive basketball team. But when we're looking at this through the lens of, okay, what would happen if this were an actual NBA game, if the starters were playing their normal minutes, not just for the Sacramento Kings starters, but the Toronto Raptors starters and main guys as well. Well, all we can look at is the first half. And in the first half, the Toronto Raptors scored 69 points. So there's still issues defensively that the Kings have to work out. They allowed 35 points in the first quarter, allowed 34 points in the second quarter. I thought in a lot of ways, the Kings half-court defense did look better. You could see the physicality. You could see the effort on the defensive end that they've been trying to build and establish for themselves during the, uh, the, the training, camp, or training camp up to this point. That physicality also resulted in a lot of fouls. The Sacramento Kings were called for 23 personal fouls. Now, to be fair, the Toronto Raptors were called for 29. So it's not like the Kings were egregious with fouls and the Raptors were not. Both teams were getting called for a lot of fouls. Hell, Dennis Schroeder... Like, he had four fouls within, like, six minutes or something like that. It was crazy. This is good. Like, you would much rather the Sacramento Kings play aggressive, physical defense and be called for the fouls and figure that out now than to have the opposite, which is the Sacramento Kings not getting called for fouls because they're not playing any kind of physical defense whatsoever. You'd rather over or, or you'd rather have to correct, like, the, I guess, overcorrect is the right word. You'd rather them go too far over the top with what you're working on, then not go far enough, right? So I was pleased with the physicality on the defensive end of the floor at some points. I was not pleased with the transition defense of the Sacramento Kings. I thought the transition defense for the Kings was horrible, which is weird that the Kings' half-court defense was better than tra their transition defense. Typically, it's been the other way around for the Kings. Not this, not this time. Like, the half-court defense still wasn't great, still needs a lot of work, but I thought the defensive rotations were better. The physicality on defense was much better. The Kings were clearly trying to pressure the ball at times. We're trying to jump passing lanes. You got in the first half a great uh, play where uh, Davion Mitchell was hounding the ball carrier. Uh, Keegan Murray tipped the pass, got the steal, found Davion Mitchell, who finished with the layup on the other end. Like The Kings had some good moments where their defense created their offense in that first half, things to certainly be excited about. But overall, defensively, this team still has a ways to go, and that is an absolute fair reaction from this game. Speaking of Davion Mitchell, his three-point shot does look better. It does look better. In tonight's game, uh, he finished with eight points, went two of five from three-point range. Even on the shots that he missed, he barely missed them. The arc was pretty good, and this is on a night where the Sacramento Kings shooting, period, was terrible. The Kings shot 10 of 45 from three-point range. And that's another reaction that I have. 
If the Kings are ice cold from three-point range, they are going to struggle. And you know what? There are going to be nights where that happens. Ultimately, I'm 100% okay with the Kings taking 45 three-pointers. More often than not, they're going to hit way more than 10. I'm very confident in that. And I'd rather ri ride with that strength and die with that strength, kind of like the Kings did in the playoffs, than go away from that if it's not working. Now, you don't just want to keep chucking shots, especially if they're bad shots, but for the most part, when the Kings are taking threes, they're in rhythm. They're good looks that the Sacramento Kings are getting naturally because of the dribble handoffs and the attacking the basket and the inside-out play uh, that they enjoy. So the Kings are always going to get three-point looks. If they're not making them, if they're not falling, this team's going to struggle, right? You would like to get the defense to a point where they could overcome that a little bit better. Oh, it's a bad shooting night for us, but our defense kept it in, and suddenly we had a hot shooting final three minutes of the game, and we ended up winning. That was kind of a recipe at times for success of the Kings last year. There were a handful of games last season where offensively Sacramento didn't play great, but they kept themselves in the game and then fourth quarter Fox or a big shot from like Kevin Herter against Utah or whoever it may be ended up helping the Kings ultimately win that game. So it's going to be hard for this team to overcome bad three-point shooting. They need to find a way to where, similar to the playoffs, their defense is reliable enough that their poor three-point shooting is not going to completely bury them. But of course, they are not there yet. I thought the Kings' ball movement was still really solid in this game. Like, I'm, I'm feeling good, feeling positive about the ball movement. At times, the Kings were a little too unselfish. They passed up good looks to try and get great looks. And credit to the Toronto Raptors' defense at times, who rotated really well, communicated really well on defense, and didn't give those king, the Kings as good of a look uh, as they were hoping to get by passing um, out of a an open shot, or at least a shot where a defender uh, was closing out. But the Kings shared the ball really well. They had 29 assists to the Raptors' 30. Now, granted, uh, the Kings lost by double digits in this game, but were just minus one uh, in the assist category. So the Kings did do a good job sharing the basketball and moving the basketball, which is their MO on offense. Uh, so nothing to be concerned about, I feel, there. Aggressive Keegan Murray is really fun. And aggressive Keegan Murray is what the Sacramento Kings are going to get this season. That's a very fair reaction from this game. Is Keegan going to take over games like he did in the California Classic? Maybe from time to time, but he doesn't have to with how good this Kings main roster is. But he's certainly looking to be more aggressive, trying to put, put the ball on the floor, attack the basket. Hell, the first basket of the game was Keegan Murray attacking the rim and dunking in the lane. Like, that was really, really cool to see. And Keegan Murray was really solid tonight. Had 11 points on 5 of 10 shooting from the field. Did go one of five from three-point range, but again, the Kings as a team were ice cold from beyond the arc. But what does that tell you? He missed four of his five misses. Four of his five misses came from the perimeter. That means he shot five of, uh, uh, sorry, four of uh, six from within the three-point arc, which is typically an area where, I mean, that wasn't necessarily a strength of Keegan last season, right? He was a three-point sniper. He was that perimeter poacher. That's how he was so strong and how he established himself last season. So aggressive Keegan Murray is really fun. And then I think JaVale McGee is actually going to be a much bigger difference maker for this Kings team on the floor than I initially thought. I know what he can bring to the Kings as a leader. I know what he can bring in the locker room. I know he brings championship pedigree and, and all his seasons of experience. But on the floor, clearly Mike Brown and the Kings feel that he could be more than just the what I thought was going to be kind of third-string center, and I don't mean third-string behind Alex Len. I mean third-string behind maybe Trey Lyles playing the five. I think JaVale McGee might end up just being the backup five every night or close to every night 
because he's a good, solid rebounder. You can play him in the pick-and-roll offensively. He fits with your pick-and-roll because of his length. Malik Monk wasted little time throwing a lob to him. I think that duo and pairing is going to be a lot of fun off of the Kings bench. And then his rim protection. Now, I'm not just talking about JaVale McGee blocking shots left and right, because ultimately in this game, I think he only had what? He had two blocked shots. But he probably had three or four more shots that he changed just because of his length, just because of his size, his wingspan, to where that's what a good rim protector does for you. It's not just that they're swatting balls away left and right. It's that by putting their hands up or putting by, by putting their hands out, they're forcing someone who was looking to go in to try and finish at the rim or at least get the defense to collapse, forcing him to change his mind and either dribble out and dribble away from danger or leave his feet and try and kick out, which you're never encouraged to leave your feet. That was a big issue of Tyreek Evans. If you remember uh, how defenses really solved Tyreek Evans after his rookie season in Sacramento, they forced him to leave his feet. So if guards and wings are coming into the paint trying to attack that rim and JaVale McGee's length, is they're leaving their feet to score, they don't have any good look at the rim because of how big JaVale McGee is, so they're forced to kind of make a split-second decision to try and pass out. The Kings are going to uh, cause a lot of turnovers because of that. So how JaVale McGee changes shots at the rim as well as blocking shots I think is going to be a really big difference maker for the Sacramento Kings. What overreactions and reactions do you have? to this Kings game. In fact, you could just share with me what your thoughts are and I'll let you know if that's a real overreaction or if that's a necessary reaction. We can go through them, send them to me at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter, email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com and leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. So the Kings get back to practice tomorrow and we're gonna go into a little bit what we're looking for, what I specifically think the Kings need to be working on and, and focusing on in practice starting tomorrow in just a second. But before that, I wanna tell you about a great sponsor here of the Locked On Kings podcast. I mentioned them at the top of the show. I'm talking about game time. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to an event, especially when you're buying last-minute tickets. A lot of the times, last-minute is the time that we decide, actually, we are free, we're going to try and go. Some events are worth trying to get your tickets ahead of time, but a lot of times you just decide, hey, I want to go to the Kings game tonight. Let's see what tickets are available. Well, game time is the perfect route for you. It's the fast and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. They have killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. And I want to spend a little more time on that view from your seat, too, because a lot of these ticket retailers will kind of give you an idea, right? It's like, oh, you're sitting in this section. Well, this is kind of what your view is going to look like from these 15 rows. Not game time. Game time will put you damn near in your seat to see exactly what you're going to be looking at in your exact view of the court or field or stage or whatever kind of event uh, you are at. Game time has deals with tickets right up to the start of the event, including last-minute flash deals that can help you save a boatload of money. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So it's back to the drawing board for the Kings tomorrow, or in all reality, it's just the continuation of training camp. That's what tomorrow is. This game was a measuring stick moment or a nice kind of test for this team to see, hey, where they're at. Are they picking up on some of the, 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 the things that they've been trying to establish and hammer in during training camp to this point? Are there things that they wanted to experiment with that they now have a better idea of if it works or it doesn't? I'm sure there's a ton of things that we haven't even discussed 
on this show that maybe I'm not even thinking of or you're not even thinking of that Mike Brown and his coaching staff were making focal points uh, for this game tonight. So what should practice look like or what will practice look like on Monday? Well, I can't completely answer that question, uh, but I do believe that the physicality, they need to obviously continue to, to hone in on the physicality, but as training camp goes on, and, and honestly, this is probably going to take into the, the regular season, true, or regular season two, is, 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 is figuring out how to establish that physicality for yourself, but do so without fouling, right? And I know the Kings have had uh, officials in with their scrimmages and in their training camps, uh, I think every day or almost every single day so that they can learn what's, how far they can go with their physicality before they're actually called for fouls or not. Uh, so that's a big thing that I expect to be a focal point, not just of the remainder of training camp, but truthfully all season long is that physicality uh, without fouling. I am very interested to see how long Mike continues to stick with his units. So his starting five, his bench five, the third string five, and then the end of bench five. Like I'm very interested to see how long he sticks with those versus when he starts to kind of experiment with staggering a little bit, right? What does... Duarte look like playing with uh, DeMontis Sabonis? What does Vazenkov look like playing with De'Aaron Fox? Like, when do these stagger, uh, those staggering lineups start to happen? We might be a ways away from that. In fact, if I were to put money on it, I would guess that we're still going to do, or if we see anything, we're still going to see the established lineups taking on the established lineups. Because again, to me, this offseason, excuse me, this preseason for Mike is all about figuring out how to maximize his depth. You already know what your starting five is, right? Your starting five is established. You know who your top five guys are. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's a very, very, uh, I imagine that's a really fun relief for Mike and his coaching staff. We know who our top five guys are. Now let's figure out that next bench three to five guys for an eight to 10 man rotation. Let's kind of figure out that out and hone that in. We saw long stretches where the bench played and the starters sat. We saw, of course, in the second half, the starters didn't play at all, and it was the bench and third and fourth units that were playing. I think Mike is going to use as much time as possible throughout preseason to get these units comfortable playing together so that he knows he has like a backup five that he can go to that are familiar with one another before he starts to stagger other guys in. So if I'm guessing, and I have no idea how much we're going to see in practice, if anything, tomorrow, but I'm guessing that we're, we would still see more unit versus unit and, uh, and less staggering still to this point. Rebounding for the Sacramento Kings is still an issue. It is still an issue. In tonight's game, they're out-rebounded 48-34. Not good. Not good. Now, the good news is they only allowed eight offensive rebounds while having nine offensive rebounds of their own. So a lot of these rebounds, the fact that they're out-rebounded simply came because they were missing more shots. They shot 39% as a team while the Raptors shot 52%. So there's kind of where the, the, the rebounding disparage, uh, uh, disparity is going to start, right? The rebound gap is going to start simply because one team was making shots and one team was not. So when the defensive boards are higher, significantly higher for one team than the other, typically you can point to that. So I'm glad to see the offensive rebounding wasn't as bad for the Sacramento Kings as it was in the playoffs and at times during last season, but rebounding still always needs work. And it's not just, hey, bigs, box out and, and, and grab rebounds. It's everybody. Rebound by committee. Guards, if you have a good look, get in there. Wings, get in there. Everybody box out. Everybody mark your man. And then once you grab that rebound, push, 
get the ball to whoever you want to take the ball up the floor. Sometimes it's Sabonis, sometimes it's Fox, it's Monk. Kings have a lot of weapons to push the tempo, but once you secure that rebound, look to get up the floor fast and get into your transition offense as fast as possible. I am very curious about establishing roles. Like we know that Mike Brown and his coaching staff are having meetings with each individual player if they haven't had them all already to try and explain to them, hey, this is what we vision your role to be with this team, or this is what we need from you, or this is what is going to keep you here. This is how you keep your job here in Sacramento. Provide this. It's going to be different for different people. Some guys, I'm sure, already know their roles with the amount of returners. Maybe they're adding a little bit more on top of that. Like Keegan Murray, his role is now going to be as more of a go-to score and less of just a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, for example. Establishing those roles. Does that start tomorrow? Is that already happening? Has, is that going to continue to develop over the course of the, uh, the, the preseason? We'll pay attention to that. And then transition defense, too. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought the Kings' transition defense was horrendous. Horrendous in this game. And with the pace that we know the Sacramento Kings like to play at, at on offense, they have to be prepared for other teams playing with that pace against them. For the most part, if teams are trying to match Sacramento's pace, it's going to be a good thing for the Kings. But if the Kings' transition defense is as bad as it was in tonight's game, it's not going to be a good thing with teams trying to push the tempo as much as Sacramento is. So I expect the Kings to be working a lot on transition defense uh, in practice to this point. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is also brought to you by Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. Now, the Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you a peace of mind so that you are not just hoping that you have access to medication in that time of need. Jace Medical makes sure that you have the medication in hand. It's simple. They handle everything from online delivery and consultations, evaluations, and licensed pharmacy medication. They provide all of the updated care that you could uh, possibly want. Don't get caught unprepared. That's really the point of Jace cases, to make sure you're prepared for any of the unexpected medical scenarios that life throws at you. Get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using code LOCKEDON at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Before we wrap up, quick question for you, because I felt like I was going to be alone on this, but when I put it out on social media, I was surprised by the amount of people that actually agreed with me. Rumor has it, the Kings have upgraded the beam. Rumor has it, the beam is going to be bigger and brighter and better this season, which I'm very excited about. Certainly excited to see that over the Sacramento skyline again. My question is, if the Sacramento Kings win during the preseason, do they light the beam or do they not light the beam? The reason why I ask is because if it was just a, if it was the same beam as last year, then I would say light it, right? Go ahead. But since it's a new and improved beam, especially on a preseason road game, like I don't, I don't want, I don't want to put that out there. I don't want people to see that unless it matters for real, right? The first time I want to see the beam lit is after the Sacramento Kings defeat uh, the Jazz in Utah in Game One of the season. And then I want to see that beam lit in person when the Kings defeat the Golden State Warriors in their home opener the very next game. Maybe I'm weird. I'm also the guy that I did not go to any of the preseason Kings games inside of the Golden One Center the year that that building opened. I didn't go. I had the opportunity to cover them, and I said no. 
I didn't want to. I wanted my first experience inside the Golden One Center to be the Kings home opener against the San Antonio Spurs. So maybe I'm just a weirdo. I don't know. Like I, I, I wanted my experience with Kings basketball inside the Golden One Center to be true and real and matter for the first time. So I, I, if this new beam is as good as everybody's saying it's going to be, I want to see it lit for the first time after a win that matters. Or at the very least, save it for when the Kings win on their home floor in the preseason. But even then, I'm just like, uh, I mean, it's cool, but it, it's not the same. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. These are the things that I think about when I'm trying to kill time in the afternoon before a 5 o'clock tip-off when I'm desperate for Sacramento Kings basketball to come back. How do you feel about that? Let me know. At Matt George Sack on Twitter. Email me mattgeorgesports at gmail.com and leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. We'll be doing post-game pods. At least the plan is, unless things come up, the plan is to do post-game pods all preseason long, to do post-game pods all regular season and all post-season long. Uh, I think I've shared this. I found out that I'm going to be going to Utah so I'm going to be in uh, Salt Lake City to watch the Kings and the Jazz in person and cover that game in person, their home, or their season opener. So I will be doing a post-game pod from Salt Lake City, from the arena, hopefully after a Kings win. I'll be doing that all during the regular season. So if you're new, you can count on this kind of content after Kings games. Uh, the goal is to do them on game night every single night. Sometimes things come up, have a family, a young son at home, and things like that. So maybe there might be a miss every now and then, but for the most part, this is the kind of content you can count on all season long. So thank you to those who are returning. Welcome to those of you who are new. Don't worry. More often than not, we're going to be talking about Sacramento Kings victories. Get these losses out of the way when they don't matter. And again, the focal point of these games is not the final score. It's the things that we talked about at length on this podcast today. If you want to share any of your takeaways or any of your thoughts, on the game, please reach out to me. You know how to get a hold of me. Uh, it doesn't take a lot, and it's not too hard. I try to respond to everybody I possibly can. And more importantly, please continue to join me here on the Locked On Kings podcast. Until next time, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to Locked On Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.